Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Marty Plum, and I am your host of a Pin and a Napkin podcast, the weekly coaching clinic that you can carry around with you in your pocket. Episode number 31 with the most recently crowned state champion in the state, Doug Woodard of Bellevue West High School, uh, here to talk some basketball this evening. Uh, but before we get to Coach Woodard, uh, we want to, uh, of course, recognize our sponsor, Cossack Chiropractic, located at 14450 Eagle Run Drive, which is just off 144th and Maple here in Omaha. Coaches, if you have an athlete who is struggling with balanced neck or spinal issues, have them go see Dr. Kevin or Dr. Heidi. You can give them a call at 402-964-0300 or check out their practice at CossackChiro.com. That's K-O-S-A-K-C-H-I-R-O.com. Follow us on Twitter at A Pen and a Napkin. Uh, try to put out daily coaching tidbits on A Pen and a Napkin every day. Uh, so be sure to follow us there. Uh, if you're listening, if you're listening to this, you're on SoundCloud or iTunes. So like us, rate it, review it, subscribe, give us five stars. Uh, get the word out. The whole purpose of a pen and a napkin is to make coaches uh, better at what they do so they can hone their craft. And last but certainly not least, if you would like to email us, uh, please feel free, a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. Ideas, suggestions, uh, suggestions for uh, guests, whatever you want to throw at us here at a pen and a napkin. We've got a, a few the last uh, a uh, couple of weeks here on some stuff that I did on some Foundation Friday pods and willing to share my library of, of documents and information that I've had here. So, Coach Woodard, how are things in sunny South Omaha this Sunday evening? Well, uh, since we did have a day that was in the 60s and uh, had a lot of sun and were able to get outside, I think probably like a lot of people in town, it's... Uh, better than it otherwise could have been yes yes uh that 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 big yellow ball that i think we used to call the sun made an appearance today and it was it was quite refreshing so um but i'm glad to hear that you and and your family are are doing well in in this kind of uh uh crazy chaotic time period that we're in um just an unbelievable resume here coach you know i i knew there were going to be a lot of numbers when you uh when you, uh, when I asked you to come on here, and you so graciously uh, said you would, thirty-eight years. Uh, has, does it feel like thirty-eight years? Some days it feels like five years, and some days it seems like fifty-eight. So that's, that's hard to answer. No, it, it really doesn't. I mean, it um, it certainly doesn't feel like uh, you know twenty-two that I've been at Bellevue West. It doesn't really doesn't. I was talking to a couple of the kids that were there um when i first went there and, and uh i mean it just seems like i was with those kids a couple of years ago and it's 22 years so um for everybody that's that's in the coaching gig that's been in it a while i'm sure that's you know uh, you, you would echo that and for those of you that uh that have just been in it or in it for a short time boy embrace it enjoy it because it, it flies yeah my, uh, we were, we were, my wife was doing a bunch of spring cleaning this weekend and she found a old, uh, a box of just old basketball clippings and pictures and all this other stuff. And, um, I found a picture of my first senior class that I had at Scott, um, seven seniors that graduated. And I was like, oh my goodness, that, I remember when we took that picture and it seems like it was yesterday and it was, it was 15 years ago and all those gals are, 
our mother, you know, all, not all of them, but a lot of them are, are mothers and, and professionals. And, and uh, just, it, it is amazing how quickly that time can, can slip past you uh, as you're doing this profession and, and, and anything in life, you know, so. Remarkable. Yep. It really is. Yep. So 38 years, uh, 615 wins, uh, 249 losses, 18 state tournament appearances, uh, four state runner-ups, uh, six state championships, including most recently, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, we'll get to that here in a, in a little bit. Uh, I've kind of filled in on the background here, coach, how to, you know, how in, in this wacky world did you end up at, at Bellevue West? Well, um, you know, I was at Ron Colley Catholic and a good friend of mine, uh, Kevin Broderick, uh, was the AD at, uh, Bellevue West and, um, uh, Lanny Richards had retired. Lanny was the only coach West, you know, had had for its first, um, I suppose then it was about 20 years of existence. Um, and, uh, he retired and Kevin got in touch with me and, uh, I just, you know, thought it was time for a new challenge and, and, uh, boy, I've, yeah, it's just, uh, best decision I've ever made. Loved it there. Loved the people there. It's a great community. Um, great school. Uh, you just really wanted to work with Matt Fritchie. I think that was really your real motivation. <laughs> yeah, that, uh, you know what, Matt, uh, Matt's a jewel. Um, <laughs> he, he really is. And, and it was, I tell you what, it was a lot of fun working with Matt. And uh, uh, he's done a tremendous job out in Michigan now at Hillsdale. And um, uh, he's he's got a lot of energy, Matt does. Yeah, yeah, he's a great guy. He, he uh he came on the pod a while ago and 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 gave me uh, some time and so uh, we've been friends for a long time. Ran in the same circles, obviously. So um, I thought it was quite it was interesting. Um, I've had coaches on here that have coached uh, their sons or their daughters, like Kevin Sheaf at Wahoo. Uh, I think this was his third son that he coached this year. I think he's a senior. Uh, Tom Taverti coached his daughter at Seward and so forth and so on. You were in a unique situation this year where you were coaching your grandson. How, how, how was, how was that? How, how, how's going through that experience? Uh, was it tough? Was it tougher than what you thought it was going to be? Was it easier than what you thought it was going to be? You know, just, just all the emotions that, that, that you had, um, coaching your, your, your grandson here to a state championship. Well, um, I mean, that part of it was just, uh, what a blessing, uh, you know, to be able to, um, to be able to, um, compete and, um, and share that kind of memory and moment with, with a grandson, you know, in this case and Owen and the end, uh, I think the preparation, cause Marty, I coached both of my sons, um, Ryan and Aaron at Ron mm-hmm. Colley. Um, uh, yeah. but and then I also, in summer stuff, coach both my daughters, Christy and Kelsey. Uh-huh. Um, got to coach both of them in, in in summer, which I mean, you can get up to thirty-five or forty games when you play uh, the summer circuit, and and so having coached all my own kids, I think that was at least a great preparation for for uh, coaching a grandson. And I think it's it's probably easier to coach a at least for me, um, uh-huh. a, a grandchild than a, a child. Cause I think you don't have as, a, a, as much emotional attachment with your own kid. And you probably, 
maybe cut him a little more slack or something uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> than your old kid. I was, probably wasn't quite as hard on Owen as I was on, on uh, Ryan and Aaron, but uh, um, uh, I think you learn a little along the way too. Sure, sure. Do you uh, was there was there ever a uh, uh, a time that you heard? Uh, you know, uh, you know, grandpa or coach, did he call you coach or did he call you grandpa? I don't know what all he called me. Um, <laughs> to your face anyway. <laughs> I'm sure there's probably several things, but, uh, um, I, I keep, you know, when nobody's around, it was grandpa. Uh-huh. Um, it, it was basically coach, I think when, when other kids or whatever are around, but, uh, um, but it was never coach when, when we were alone or when we were sure. at a family deal. Sure. So. Was, was there ever, uh, was there ever a time where, uh, your, your son or daughter-in-law kind of told you a story where he, he comes home and, Oh yeah, we had to do this. We had to do, you know, whatever. And, uh, coach got upset with us or what, you know, whatever it may be. And they're like, ah, been there, done that. Here's what he's thinking. You know, did, did they kind of help facilitate the situation as well as, you know, well, here's what he said, but here's what he really meant. <laughs> you know, those type of things. I, I think they did, uh, to a degree because um ryan's wife heidi was also uh, uh you know was participant or competed athletically her whole her whole life through playing softball at Kirby and, and uh so they, they've all been through all the stuff and and uh i think they they helped him but to, to some to another or another level he uh I don't think he went home and complained a whole lot. I think he just kind of rolled with it. And, uh-huh. uh, he was a role player and, and uh, was certainly not, uh, you know, one of the main scorers or anything like that. But he had a good role. He'd come in, he'd defend, he'd, he'd give you what he had on the glass and uh, uh, run the floor. He's a very good passer and found other people. Um, and that was his role. And he was, uh-huh. he was fine with that. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, he never uh, – his, his – the one thing I could never reach him on was he's a lefty like I am and, and shooting wise. Um, but he never, uh, he brings the ball over to his right shoulder and wouldn't listen. Um, <laughs> just like his dad, Ryan, a lot there. His listening habits aren't the greatest. So at least when it comes to that. Yeah. <laughs> well, hopefully he's listening in other areas. So oh, he's listening in other areas, probably the ones that are more important. Yeah. 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 Well, then if, if you got to prioritize, that's, that's what you want in the big picture of everything, you know? So, um, did the, you know, 600 wins, you know, speaks for itself. And, and, and I know you've, you've got a, you've got a, a quite a few years left in you, I, I you know, uh, just judging from a distance. Um, but what's, you know, whether, whatever the number would be attached to it, um, what do you think have been kind of your keys just to the longevity of your career to keep that uh, passion uh, for the game uh, going and and to come to the to the gym every day, you know, as 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 fresh as you can be, and you're accepting that new challenge. You know, what's just been uh, the what are what have been some of the things that you felt like you've done that have that have allowed you to to coach for for as long as you have? Well, I can think of a couple things, you know, and, and I suppose we're all different, unique individuals in that regard. But for me, part of it has been just. Uh, getting more enjoyment out of um, the day-to-day process than out of any 
kind of result or consequence of, of what you're doing. And then because um, for me, the, the summer when you go up there and uh, you're with them lifting in the morning and then maybe you're doing skill work in the gym, that, that's I get more out of that um, than, uh, than a lot of the other stuff that uh, is more um, – you know, out in front uh, that people see or whatever you want to say. Um, and, and just that whole process of, of the year-long grind, uh, mm-hmm. enjoying it and enjoying the day, the day-to-day. You have to have some passion with it and, and you got to enjoy going in every day uh, and helping kids get better. Um, and then secondly, to me, when it's over, um, it's over. Uh, I, I mean, literally... If we lose wherever it might be in districts or down at state or something, um, in 24 hours, I, it, it really is It's not on my mind anymore. Uh, if we win, it's really the same thing. I mean, I'm not saying you don't think about it. If you lost, maybe it doesn't cross your mind. Could, could I change this? That reflection has to be part of it. But uh, I think just realizing you know what, now it's time to get ready for the next year. And, and you start over again in, mm-hmm. in, in your mind. And you don't dwell in it and, and revel in it. Uh, uh, pat yourself on the back for a long time if you want or hope about it if you lost. You just get up and go. Is that something that you were kind of born with or was it something that you kind of had to teach yourself or was it maybe a little bit of both? Probably a little bit of both. I, I think my... My dad was certainly had, had that kind of mindset, and, and uh, um, my high school coach John John had very much instilled that mindset. Um, I remember him preaching to us a long time that it, it doesn't matter whether we're going to win or lose that last game of the year. What's important is what that does to you for the rest of your life. If you win it and uh, you treat people bad, you don't learn from it. Um, you become lazy, satisfied, then it was a bad thing that you wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you lose, but you become a better person, um, you learn something that, that, that adds to the type of person you are later in life, then it was a good thing. So um, I, I think it's that kind of mentality it, it, uh, um, from both just being raised and, and uh, um, you know, a high school coach that, that kind of preached it and lived it. Yeah. Well, um, you must be uh, Nostradamus here because you, you went right into my next question there. Uh, John Johnette, uh, the legendary coach from Omaha Burke, uh, you played for him in high school and you, you know, you definitely, you listed him as one of your uh, influences. I thought it was, uh, I, I, I was, as I was getting ready for this, um, was he really buried in a, in a Omaha Burke basketball shirt? Or something. I, I, I believe I read that. Uh, I, I think he may have been, but you know, John didn't. It, the way he wanted, he wanted a very few people to his funeral. Uh-huh. Um, he was just a very private man. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, a good friend of mine, Gary Grainer, who obviously succeeded John in, in coaching at uh, at Burke um, uh, after John retired. Um, I, I do think I remember Gary. Gary mentioned that, but, uh, but John was a unique man. You, you know, you didn't know where you, I, I mean, you didn't know sometimes how to take him when you're, especially when you're a high school kid. Um, uh-huh. and he did mellow over the years, like a lot of people do, but, uh, 
boy, he was uh, he was not one to uh, pass out praise effusively anyway. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> what uh, what made him such an influence on on your career? You know, you kind of touched on a couple of things, but could you could you expand on that? Well, as I got into coaching, I remember I would talk to John. I, I you know, I think he was one of the guys you you appreciated more after you left um, than maybe while you were there. Um, <laughs> and just uh, picking his brain um, on why he did certain things. John was ahead of his time. He, he really wanted to use um, pace, really wanted to space the floor. Um, obviously, when the three-point shot came in, he was a, you know, a big believer in it. Um, he wanted to shoot. I remember you know, we had a team with Jimmy Gregory and um, Rob Hainer and Bobby Dickey, you know, four of us were guards. And um, if we could get up 80 shots, he wanted to get up 80 shots. Um, so he was really ahead of his time um, in some of his offensive concepts. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then just uh, his whole, um, I just, be, as, I, as I grew, began to appreciate his whole approach that, the, the process is really what matters. The, the whole the whole act of putting everything you have into it, the results really not what matters. Those things will kind of take care of themselves. But if you play for results, um, you're you're never going to be a satisfied person. Mm-hmm. I, I wholeheartedly agree with you there. You know, one of um, one of the phrases that I would use with with my teams was enjoy the process of getting better. You know, and that and that step by step thing of you know, here we are on November 10th or 12th, whenever we started. And, and let's, you know, let's not look ahead to February 1st. Let's enjoy every step of the way to get to February 1st. And then hopefully at that point, we start peaking at that point of the season. And and I think sometimes you're you're right that we, we get so worried about what we want it to look like that we forget to put the parts together to the machine to get the machine looking the way that we want it to and enjoy that that arduous process of putting that all together is that kind of what you're saying coach it is and and part of our job is to make those kids into the best whole they can be um uh, the the best sum of all their different parts that they can be and um and that may that's going to look different in each year you may not have a team that really is capable of being much better than winning 10 or 12 games Um, just because of the competition you play and everything else. But if you can get that team to achieve that or a game or two more, you know, you've done more in some ways than a guy that wins a state championship that or a gal that wins a state championship um, and just had a supremely, uniquely gifted and talented team. Um, and again, I'm not minimizing that, but I, I guess what I'm saying is you can take just as much enjoyment um, and satisfaction out of doing a good job um, when the record may not be what the world would see as as worthy of, of, of that type of thing. Yeah, you know, uh, it would it'd be fair to say, you know, I, I always told my coaches, I just want to max this team out, you know, and if, and if we've got 10 win talent, 
then doggone it, let's max them out to, to, to 10 wins. But, you know, if, if we're if we're 15 wins, then let's max out to let's get to, to 15 wins, you know, and, and whatever that number is. And, and, you know, it's you don't want to associate a number with it per se. But but after you do it long enough, you kind of have a pretty good idea of, you know, this is kind of where you know, this is what what I think we have numerically. Now let's keep pushing them and pushing them and pushing them to make the most out of it that they can. Um, does that make well, sense? And the, yeah, and, the, and Marty, the joy and, and I guess the side benefit of doing that and having that approach is that if you can do that, if you can get them to maximize themselves during the course of the season, then you get to a situation where if you get in a district, you, you know, you, you might be say, listen, we're going to maximize. We don't have to. We don't have to beat this team, whoever it may be. Three out of five, four out of seven. Got to just beat them tonight. And if we can do these things, and 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 stay in it for this quarter, do these things and stay in it till halftime. Do these. You know what? If we get to the fourth quarter and it's close, we just got to win one quarter. Mm-hmm. And you can you can break it down and and because the games are thirty two minutes and not forty or forty eight like the college or pros, the the possibility of beating somebody that's a better team than you is greatly enhanced. Um, so and, and you have a better chance of getting the kids to buy in and believe that if they can believe they've maximized their potential to that point of the season. Yeah, absolutely. Um, your job, your full-time job, is is the dean of students there at Bell West. Um, I was kind of curious because I, I think you're the first coach that I've had on here that is that uh, a high school coach that is not a just a classroom teacher. Uh, you're you're in the you're on the administrative side of things. Do you think that makes your job easier or more difficult sometimes? Well, probably. Probably a little bit of both. I mean, it, it makes it easier, in my opinion, because I, I, I did the um, the teaching part for 16 years uh, uh-huh. prior to doing this for 22. And not having to have a class, you know, seven of the eight periods or whatever, uh-huh. not having to grade things at night, not having to prepare lessons is certainly an advantage. Um, uh-huh. There's no question um, I guess the, the, you know, the other side of it is it, you deal with discipline, attendance, and things that can be a, a real drain all day long. Um, and if you let them be a drain, yeah. that's part of the job is don't let it. Your kids are just, they're not bad kids. They're making some mistakes and making some choices. They're growing up, you know, but you got to deal with that. And then you got to deal with the discipline side of that. And sometimes that can get you in a, um, can get you not the best frame of mind at, at sure. the practice. Yeah. Um, but from a, a time preparation, especially in the evening and stuff, um, there's, you know, I, I guess it's it's a much better situation. Sure. Do you uh, does does it help you with uh, some of your kids in the sense of uh, if, if if Jimmy gets in trouble in in Mr. Johnson's history class, you know, maybe he can get away with it if Coach Woodard was was teaching math, but he's going to hear about it up at the office here, and now you know it's 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 you know it kind of helps keep some. Uh, it just just an extra eye out on your on your guys and making sure that they're doing the right thing on a consistent basis, you know, in that in that regard. 
they pretty much know that it would be in their best interest not to come to the dean's office. <laughs> Unless it's to say hello. Um, they, we have a couple boards um, that have towels wrapped around them that... that uh, Oh, um, oh, I know exactly and, what you're talking about. Yeah, and, oh. and uh, so whatever whatever happens at the dean's office, there's an extra there's an extra uh, payment that's going to be extracted. Oh. Um, so they, they know not to come to the dean's office. Oh, my high school coach used to make us do those, and oh, uh, back when I had like two pack abs as a high schooler, I I, I thought it was awful. I can't, oh yeah. Yeah, that'd be enough incentive for me as well, Coach. That's 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 very well played there. That's very well played. So, um, I want to talk to you um, about the 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 championship game a couple weeks ago, um, and and it's it's difficult, obviously, to get to the state tournament. It's extremely difficult to win a state championship. Uh, you were in a situation where you're playing. Uh, you know, you guys and and Miller North were basically one two all year for the most part, um, and you get into the fourth quarter and you were down fourteen, I believe, in the fourth quarter, and this is a, I mean, you, you know, a, a supremely talented uh, a team that most years would would kind of tear through the the class a field you know they got hunter salas they got max mural and and saint thomas and you know obviously i don't need to go down the the scouting report i don't mean to give you a little cold shakes having to think about that part of it again <laughs> but uh you, you uh you pull off I, I i think you were down 14 and then you outscored them 16 or 17 to, to zero the rest of the way or, or some crazy number like that and it, it wasn't like a big turnover fest and you scored nine points in two minutes or, or 90 seconds. It was just chipping away, chipping away, chipping away. What was, what was going on in your, in your huddles and in your brain as you were trying to, to work your kids back into this game? Because, you know, you know, Miller North played well, you guys, I don't think played great. And, and then you were able to just put together a really good fourth quarter to, to, to pull off kind of this miracle comeback here, you know, what was, what was kind of going, what was kind of going on on the sidelines and, and how were you coaching, coaching through that? Well, the, you know, and I guess there's two, two kind of parts to that. The first half, um, we played very poorly and mm-hmm. specifically rebounded the ball. Um, yeah. and they just killed us on the glass and, um, uh, we had to get that correct because there was no way we were going to win that game um, if we kept allowing them to play volleyball um, with with the dog on basketball um, up on the rim. And, you know, so the second half comes, and, and we actually play play much better, but we don't shoot any better. We, we, we just can't hit a shot yeah. um, or, or can't hit a shot with any consistency to chip into that. Let me make a couple runs um, at the beginning of the third quarter, then again at the end of the third quarter. Um, but as you said, I mean, we got in that stretch where they stretched it out to 14. We had two point-blank looks and mm-hmm. two wide-open threes that didn't go in. And, and But we were rebounding the ball. We were, we were playing pretty well defensively. Um, it's just we were scoring one out of every 
five times and they were scoring two out of every five times, uh-huh. you know, or whatever. And, and so they were chipping away and, and building that lead. And, and I remember at about the four minute mark saying to one of my assistants, if we could just string a couple threes together, just anywhere. Yeah. Um, the game could change. And at three thirty-seven, we were still down 14, uh-huh. um, which is when, Josiah Goldsler hits a couple free throws, so now it's 12, and then he hits two threes. Um, And the two threes were quick. I do remember that now. It was was pretty quick between those two threes. Yeah, because it was... It went from 337, and I think his second three was at 244. Um, um, You know, and his first one was like at three minutes, so... um, from 337, then at three minutes, then at 244, uh, and now it's a six-point game. And mm-hmm. so that's just enormously different yeah. than anything in double digits, much less 14. So, uh, And then from that point on, you know, it, it became um, a, a situation where I think, you know, Middle North may have been just kind of caught in between. Like, do, do they keep attacking the basket? Do they try to hold it a little bit? And, um, yeah. You know, and again, we do have good defensive pressure um, on the guards, and um, um, uh, and, and we were just fortunate enough. Couple turnovers, couple missed free throws. You're going to have to have some missed free throws when you're making a comeback like that. And, yep. and we did, um, and we only really in the last three minutes and 37 seconds, we only we we just we didn't score one time. Um, every other time we had the ball, we scored. Uh, so. Um, it was pretty, uh, uh, pretty unbelievable uh, situation to be part of, and I felt bad for Tim. Tim's a really good friend, yeah. um, and and to have you know have him be that close, um, I know how how difficult that is. And so, um, but uh, but he's got a great team, and those kids are, are tremendously talented basketball players. Yeah, yeah, they. Uh, I you know when you got it down to six. You know, you were right, and I kind of hadn't thought about it. They they were kind of stuck with one foot in and one foot out. You know, they kind of halfway wanted to be aggressive and halfway wanted to to kind of pull the ball back and maybe kill a little bit of clock and kill a little bit of momentum. And uh, you know, if if you were in that situation, you know, if you're in that situation, um, I I think you got to kind of tell your kids, hey, they're coming at us here, you know. And this is just me learning from watching this. Hey, we got to try and make an aggressive play here to take the momentum back here, you know, and get your kids aggressive because they're they're young kids. They're gonna they're gonna um, uh, they're gonna start thinking about it a little bit too much. They're gonna be back on their heels. Heels. They're gonna feel uh, the kind of the heat of the moment. And and I, I think that's you know. And that's nothing against Tim or, or any of his kids or anything like that. But, I, you know, it's the reason why we talk about situations like this to kind of look at it, analyze it, and try to make ourselves better from it. And uh, like one of my guests said a few days ago, you know, you, you make pressure decisions in non-pressure times. And, and uh, you know, I think that's something that that, that, that whole fourth quarter uh, can, can be such a great study of, of a lot of different things um, and, and how your kids kind of held their poise together. Uh, did, did your kids get, did you feel like your kids were rattled at all? Or was, was there a sense of frustration? Like, come on, we know we're better in this or, or, or what, what were you like trying to coach them through it? 
Well, I, I mean, obviously, I think there was kids are human beings. I think there was some frustration um, with not being able to hit shots they felt like they normally would hit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and, and I'm not just talking about um, – because three-point shooting is something that, you know, that comes and goes. Um, and Miller North does has great length at the rim, so there's times where a shot against them uh, in the paint's not like getting a shot against anybody oh, else because they have such great length. But there were several, especially in that second half, very where we weren't challenged at the rim, we weren't challenged in the lane, or, or they were just totally open threes. And the ball just we just weren't finishing plays. And and so yeah, I think there was a little bit of frustration. And, and um, I mean, you know, you have to do the best you can to encourage them. Listen, fellas, it's not going to take. We don't have to. You know, number one, you're not going to make fourteen point play. Um, yeah. yeah, it's not going to happen. Um, but if you make a two-point play and get a stop, and then maybe hit a three and get something. Now it's in single digits. And, yep. and um, uh, then it begins to be, a, the game just has a different feel to it. And, and the other team gets that. Uh, and we've all been on the other side of that, too, yep. where you feel it slipping away and you, you got to lead. And and um, you're not even really wanting your kids to, to take their pe- foot off the pedal. But they kind of just do, yep. you know, thinking that, well, Coach Wants doesn't, you know, he, we should take some time here. And, and um, uh, which is one of the reasons, Marty, we need a, a doggone shot clock um, yeah. uh, in, in high school basketball. We need it desperately. Um, it would take that even inkling away, uh, um, you know, and that, that calculus out of the equation. Yeah. there. there I, I, I don't know. I don't know how many podcasts I've done now, um, but the, the only time I've really gotten on my soapbox was we did a roundtable pod uh, down at the girls' state tournament, and there was a game. There wasn't a basket for 14 minutes, and, and the game the game was triple overtime, and and there there were only in that 14 minutes I think there was only seven shot attempts or something crazy like Just that. Ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. So and and again, I wasn't begrudging the coaches for. Um, playing the, 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 the hand that they were dealt as far as, okay, here's the rules. I'm just playing by the rules. Um, but for the good of the game, especially at that, uh, at that, uh, stage, you know, let's, let's, let's get this thing going. Let's, let's, let's make this active. Let's make it, let's make it fun. Let's make it entertaining. Let's make it the way that the game should be played, you know? Well, and nobody wants to see that. And, and you can, if you've got a 35 second clock or whatever it is, you can still play, if you choose to, you can play a little bit slower tempo, mm-hmm. but you're not going to be holding the ball for two minutes uh, or, or three minutes. And, yeah. and, uh, and that's the thing. I mean, so, you know, you still can manage um, to play a slower tempo game. I mean, tempo did it for years in, in, in uh, you know, in men's college basketball. And yep. You can play a clock managed game, but, but it's not a ridiculous game that nobody wants to watch. Yeah. Um, so yep. that's it's critical. It's again high school American high school basketball is the only level in the world that doesn't have a clock. The only level of basketball in the world. Wow, so. yeah. You're you are correct there. You are correct. So um coach, I want uh would you be willing to indulge me here? I wanted to try. I haven't done this for a long time, and then I thought, you know what, I'm gonna dust this off here. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw some rapid fire questions at you here, and I just want you to just 
boom, 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 rattle them off here. Are, are you ready for this? Well, you know, yeah, I, I'm, a, I'm a little bit older than you, so uh, <laughs> I'll try to keep up with you. Well, but, uh, we're, we're, we're not doing calculus or anything like that. I can tell okay. you that. So, all right. Well, yep, let's go ahead. All right. Favorite coaching book? Uh, I would say either The Winner Within um, or, uh, um, or John Wooden's book, um, you know, Practical Modern Basketball. Mm -hmm. um, Dean Smith, A Coach's Life, I liked a lot. But, uh, um, I, you know, The Winner Within, I think, probably um, might be what, one of my favorite ones. Favorite? Okay. Uh, favorite concession stand food? Like Cali Catholic. It's not close. <laughs> Meister does a good job there. He does a great job. Um, yes, he does. All and right. Tremendous. Yep. Um, favorite player as a kid? Pete Maravich. Pistol Pete. All right. Favorite movie? You know what? I gotta say, I, I really gotta say, Braveheart still. Oh yeah, freedom. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah just unbelievable. It should be required viewing to, uh, <laughs> for kids to see what what uh, folks would give up just to just to have freedom. Yeah, exactly. Uh, favorite favorite sports movie. Um. Oh, you, you just can't get any better than. Hoosiers, um, you know, I mean, uh, uh, this is tremendous. Uh, Rocky one and Rocky two, um, boy, those those are tremendous too. I, I it's hard pressed to pick between those ones. Gotcha. Um, do you like the new playoff system? You're talking about um, the, the district play and and kind of the uh, oh, uh, having a uh, the, the playing at. Um, at home sites and such. Yeah, yeah. I think that's. Uh, um, I think it's great. I mean, some people say that you lose a little bit of a district atmosphere um, when you're not all at one site, but um, I think you get obviously you get bigger crowds, um, and and I think again it's a reward reward the team that had a better season uh, to that point in time and and get a chance to play in front of their home. Home crowds. The worst system ever was playing a whole site at a neutral site. I mean, that that made no sense, and we did it for years and years and years. So, yeah. um, I think this is like the the second iteration past that. I think it's it's good. Yeah. Well, what was even worse than that was uh, the 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 district was decided who you were going to play before the season even started, and that was going to be your path oh, to the state tournament. We, I mean, we spent years trying, I mean, you know, tell, it, it made no sense. You're going to make these districts based on enrollment. You're going to serpentine it, and you could end up with three or four of the best teams in the state in the district, and, you know, three or four that, that you know, were under 500. It didn't make any difference. Yep. And, you know, that, that made no sense. So, Thank goodness there's been some evolution there. <laughs> I had one year, Coach. Um, I had the seventh-ranked team in the state by both newspapers, and we were the fourth seed in our district. I mean, oh, boy. it was it was absolutely yeah. ridiculous. You know, it's, well, and, and you know, I can go back to I think it was my second year, maybe at Roncalli. Um, 
we were in the district where we met Wahoo, and, and they were one, and we were two. Um, and and then I we had to beat Mount Michael, who was four. Yeah, uh, so you had one, two, and four in the same district. And of course, there was no wild card. Oh um, my goodness! And this was in the middle of Wahoo winning seven hundred and ninety games in a row, or whatever it was. So, um, so I know that, that yeah, that uh, it, it was well past time to have that system change. Absolutely, absolutely. Well. We're going to transition here a little bit. Uh, the Don Meyer quote of the day. Uh, our loyal listeners know that I like to uh, throw out a, a quote from the GOAT uh, during our interview podcast. Uh, here, is our, uh, here is our quote of the day. And, uh, Coach, I, I think you'll probably agree with this one here. Uh, anytime you get an award as a coach, you've got to be the ultimate fool to think it wasn't your assistant coaches and all the players responsible for the award. Absolutely no question. Um, anyone that thinks it different is uh, really, really foolish. Um, you know, to truly, you are as good a coach as the assistants you have and the players you have. Um, and, uh, and, and, and beyond that, the, the family support, the community support, the administrative support. There's so many factors that go into it. Um, and to think, you know, if you've either achieved a milestone or got an award and to, to, to think that, you know, you did that or I did that independently or anything like that, um, is really, really, really short-sighted. And, and uh, it just doesn't, it, it's just not realistic. And I think anybody that's been in coaching a long time knows that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so let's get into kind of your personal philosophy, your coaching philosophy. You, you, you talked a lot about process and uh, building your process. And one of the things, you know, two of the things that you're known for at Bell West is pressure defense and transition offense. And that's definitely two things that I wanted to dive, take a deep dive with you here uh, this evening. Uh, I'll leave it up to you. Which one do you want to talk about first, pressure D or transition offense? We'll go ahead and talk about pressure defense first. All right. The, the floor is yours. Well, I think, you know, ideally, um, if, if I had my brothers, we would press – and by that, I mean full-court press and trap the whole game, every game. But you have to make concessions to the personnel you have um, and the people you're playing against. Um, and as I've grown in coaching, I think I've seen that more and more, especially um, there's more good ball handlers now um, on, the, on the guy side of things than there ever has been. And so you're probably not going to be able to, uh, to do that as a steady diet solely in and up by itself um, and be real successful uh, yeah, anymore. Um, so within that, um, I think you got to find – there's a lot of different things you can use pressure for. Um, you can use pressure to speed an opponent up, which we like to do. Uh-huh. But you can also use pressure to slow somebody down. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a different type of pressure. Uh, and, and that's really more – um, I think conducive to a clock because what you, I think you want to do in that case is you want to slow your opponent down at the front end of the clock to speed them up at the back end of the clock um, and give them less time to execute their normal 
half-court offense, um, well, which is why I think that type of press would be very effective in, in a college game. Um, uh, because even there, kids have that inner clock. Uh, they get sped up at the end of the clock. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so I think it's important – uh, and I think already in girls basketball, I think pressures because very few girls can throw the ball from one end of the court to the other and, yep. and wrist it, just wrist it down there. And so you get away with more um, in terms of traps, committing people to the ball, uh, because the pass they make out of there is usually shorter, so you have more recovery time. Um, but I think it, that the whole idea, at least for us, is to try to speed people up, try to get the ball out of the better ball handler's hands, get the ball into other people's hands, make them make decisions on the move. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, it, you know, we've transitioned more into trying to uh, be sound in pressure defense in a half court um, and use our full court stuff more like we thought it was critical to use that first round tournament game against Elkhorn. Um, we didn't use it at all against Westside because Westside starts four guards and mm-hmm. you're just not, your steady pressure is going to do nothing with Westside but give them open threes and layups. Yep. And what does Westside do great? They shoot threes and drive the ball downhill and shoot layups. Mm-hmm. Now, then we felt it was important to use it um, periodically, and then for most all the fourth quarter against Miller North, because you know, field ball handling was, you know, quite obviously their their strength. And so you had to be more a little more selective. Then um, early on, I thought you just do it. You just do it all the time. If that's what you do, you do it better than the opponent breaks it, then you'll be fine. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's that was wishful thinking. I think <laughs> so. Um, but I think in a half court. Our idea is pressure the ball, pressure the entry pass. Um, try to keep, we try to keep the dribble off the middle of the floor. I know other people play back line defense and try to push it in the middle, but we, I still believe in, in pushing outside, pushing towards the baseline. Um, front the post to take the post entry away. Fly, commit help to the lob. Um, and, and try to switch everything and take every pass away. Mm-hmm. So, in um, that way, we just feel that somebody's not going to be able to run their normal offense against us. What are what are some of the things that you do? You're, you know, you, again, you talked about process. What are some of the things, or how do you break it down to teach your kids how you want them to uh, to do what you want to do? Well, I think uh, you know whether you're talking about the full court. We have uh, a whole series of what we call press build-up drills. And it starts with one-on-one to two-on-two, and it might get to like three-on-two, four-on-three to try to give the defense an advantage early in the season to build a little confidence mm-hmm. in what we're trying to do. Here's situations we want to trap. Here's situations we want to run and jump. Here's situations where you're never going to rotate up. Uh, for instance, we never want a, a pass out of the trap in a full court. Um, in, in other words, the dribbler hasn't crossed half court yet. We never want to rotate up to guard the person he's passing it to if it's a lateral pass. Okay, uh, mm-hmm. Because now 
that person's going to catch it, throw it over the next person's head. Now you've got a, a three on two at the other end. Um, and so we teach that, but then in a half court, you have to rotate up to take that pass away. Um, and so teaching them when do you rotate, when don't you rotate, um, and making different competitive games out of that. Um, uh, that's what we do. And then we try in the, in the same way in a half court. I think it's important to introduce the whole of what you're trying to accomplish and then break it down into one on one. Because if you guard your man one on one, we're not going to have, the less you have to help, the better. It's really simple. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can if you can guard your man and keep him out of the middle of the floor and keep him from driving straight line layup, um, and you're not going to, and he's going to have to pick his dribble up and shoot an eight footer or pass the ball back out to somebody else without help squeezing in, um, we're going to be pretty good. Um, and, and so I think you just have to spend a ton of time on closeouts, dribble contain, and then situations obviously where you do have to help, where you, how you help, where the help comes from, and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. You were. Uh... You were talking about um, changing up your pressures to fit your teams and and speeding up or, or slowing it down. I always thought that that uh, Dana Altman was kind of the master of picking the spots and when to speed somebody up and when to slow somebody down. And if if somebody can't get a hold of 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 Bellevue West film or or your type of stuff, uh, if they wanted to look something up. W- would he be kind of a, uh, at least philosophically, kind of the the type of person that you're talking about there, coach, with what you guys try to do? Yeah, he would. Or um, Dana definitely would. Um, I mean, their their press was a, a little bit different, but yep. the early Kentucky years, um, uh, where Patino was at Kentucky in the mid '90s, um, and then some of the Billy Donovan stuff at Florida. Um, you know, those would probably be more con- contemporaneous. Some of the some of the ways West Virginia does it yep. um, uh, would, would would be somewhat similar. You know, and you, you, I think everybody you take a little bit from this guy, a little bit from that person, and and uh, put your own kind of little twist on it. And and mm-hmm. uh, um, and, but I, I do that. I got it personally from uh, from Patino. Yeah. Um, he used to call it white black press, and yeah. it's whether you have a man on the ball or off the ball. And, and uh, um, I just felt he he did a tremendous job with with basically what's called a matchup press. Yep, yep, yeah. I I know uh, exactly what your tape, uh, what coach's tape you're talking about. He's got the old uh, shorty shorts on. I think he was with the Knicks <laughs> at the time. Um, and Billy Donovan was one of his players in the film, I believe. I, it was it was Billy Donovan and Delray Brooks and uh, a couple of other guys that he had with his Providence teams or something like that. But I I think I know exactly which coaches tape that uh, that uh, you're talking about there. So um, so uh, we're we're right on the same wavelength there, Coach Woodard. So. <laughs> Enough. I went to a, a clinic. He, but, you know, uh, wasn't really a clinic. Um, uh, a friend of mine, Scott Hawk, who uh, used to coach at prep and then coached girls for a while at Bellevue West. Uh, we were able in the mid '90s um, 
or I guess it would be closer to the early 90s, probably to go down to Lexington. Mm-hmm. Um, spent three days down there uh, as he was kind of installing his press and stuff. Uh-huh. Um, and I mean, he was, it was just a, a tremendous time, but to get to see the, the level of detail um, and attention to detail that's necessary uh, was, was, it was just really, really valuable. When, when you're talking attention to detail, what are you talking about there, coach? Well, everything from uh, where you want the opponent to catch the ball, um, how you want to guide the opponent up the sideline, and so where your body has to be in relationship to the ball handler. Um, The person who's the trap man, who is a person originally on the ball, uh, he has to get to the line of the ball right when it's entered. Um, If you're lower than the line of the ball, you have no chance to get there on the trap. Uh, and then he's got to decide when to come, when not to come. Um, he's got to decide if the dribble gets loose to the middle, now he's going to run and jump it. And so the communication's different. Um, and then all the people off the ball have to make continual decisions on when to go for a pass and when not to. Because if you don't get it, you made a bad decision. Because uh-huh. um, you've reduced the defense. Every time you rotate up, to get a ball that's passed and, and you end up guarding the guy that caught it, you, you, you put your defense in a worse situation. Because you can always sprint from behind and just you know stay back. If you can't get the pass, just stay back. Because one of the duties of the press is that's just it. We want a, a secondary ball handler to have the ball in the middle of the floor with somebody running behind, possibly tipping the ball, and that person having to decide who they're going to pass it to. Mm-hmm. We don't want you rotating up and letting that person get out of making that decision by throwing it right over your head, which is an easy decision. Yeah. Yeah. How do you get a kid that may, you know, he's a hugger, meaning. Uh, I, I just don't, it's hard for me to look, I feel like I'm going to leave this guy open next to the basket and, and I got to go get this. Is, is it just a constant state of, come on, get there, aggressive, be aggressive, trust yourself, that type of thing. Is, is that some of the stuff that you're doing there? Well, that and constantly doing, which is, you know, again, and, and this is part of the quandary you face because that takes a tremendous amount of reps. Uh-huh. Um, in whether it's three on three reps or four on four or um, or whatever they may be or full team reps, uh, it takes a tremendous amount of reps and it, and the reps take time and so you got to decide as a coach how much time can you devote to this um, to, to learning a matchup press uh, how much are we going to use it um, and every year. You know, we, we vacillate back and forth. If we're going to use it a ton, then it, we spend a ton of time on it. If we're going to use it in spots, then, you know, you might hit it twice a week. Uh-huh. Um, otherwise, you're having to hit it every day for multiple uh, multiple sessions a day. So, mm-hmm. um, and, and that's to be any good at all at it because th- that is. Now, if a kid keeps at some point. If, if he wants to hug, he can sit on the bench and hug somebody. Um, <laughs> yes, I guess if, if, if you're not going to get it, that that's one thing that tends to to, to get you to learn. I, I think Steve Klein could use a little couple extra hugs over there on the bench, Coach. 
Yeah, well, I don't know if anybody's going to give him to him, but uh, <laughs> yeah. he, he probably, he's not going to be able to reach all the way around him behind him. <laughs> so you, you go from uh, – you go from your your pressure defense, and then again, it, you know, you guys are bringing it back uh, offensively just as quickly as you're attacking on defense. There, uh, what's you know, explain to us your philosophy, your process, your your building up to that. Uh, if you wanted to throw some X's and O's with that, you know, like I said, again, I'm just I'm going to let you riff here for a few minutes and explain to us what you do. Well, and there's a couple different philosophies in in the break. Obviously, there's running the spots. Um, we run a numbered break and um, basically a numbered break is upon acquisition of the ball by us um, everybody has a predetermined flight pattern basically uh-huh. uh, and, and it's and it's always the same on every make there's mm-hmm. no question five man takes the ball out of bounds one man's going to get the inbounds pass two man's running right three man's running left four man's running in the middle of the floor um, or if the five-man rebounds, it's exactly that way. Mm-hmm. Now, it can change if, for instance, the two-man rebounds it, because we want our two to be able to play the one for that possession. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't want the two-man to waste time outletting it to the one um, and then filling the two-lane. So one has to fill two's lane. But, so there are some exceptions, um, which there never used to be, it's the Marymount numbering system, yep. um, which actually goes back to Sunny Island at Nevada, Reno, uh, years and years ago. But Paul Westhead popularized it at Marymount, and, um, um, and and that's the numbering system we use. Um, again, and, and there's two schools of thought. I'm not saying one's better, one's worse. It's just what we believe. I think accountability's. Um, the most important thing. Some people say, well, why why not just have the big guy that's closest to the ball take it out of bounds? Um, and my answer to that is, what if they're both close to the ball? Yep. What if one guy thought the other guy was closer to the ball? I, I don't want there to be any question. It's the five-man's job to take the ball out of bounds. Uh-huh. And only the five-man's job. So if it doesn't get done, I know who to hold accountable. Yep. Um, if we want it out of, out of his hands... You know, from the time it goes through the net to the time the ball leaves his hands, we want one and a half seconds. Um, that's our goal. Uh, we want to be down court in three seconds. Um, in other words, where we're in the the offensive scoring zone in three seconds. And um, we tell our kids all the time: if you can get up a good shot in that three or four seconds, and, they, and you can shoot fifty up a game, shoot fifty. Um, if it takes another three seconds to reverse the ball once and you've got a good one, let it go. Uh-huh. Um, you know, because we want create, we want more possessions. The more possessions there are, uh, the better we feel about it. So um, that's, and that, and that, therefore we feel the pressure defense goes with that kind of philosophy on offense. It, but it's also, it creates a, um, I think you have to, you have to really spend a lot of time teaching kids um, what is a good shot. Um, because we're not just going to settle for any, you know, uh, I, I guess one way we put it, fellas, if if you're down court and all five of the defenders are inside of all five of us 
and you shoot a three, that's not creating tempo. Mm-hmm. Okay, because the defense has beat us back. Mm-hmm. So we didn't we we weren't we didn't do our job good enough. So now you're going to have to work a little bit and get the ball reversed. Um, you know, and make them guard a little bit because if you miss that three with all five of their guys standing in front of all five of our guys, the chances of us rebounding it are virtually nil. But if you're shooting a three that's a three on two, our chances of rebounding a mess are really, really good. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so it's decision-making and understanding uh, what's a good shot and what's not. Do you guys um, – and, and another thing I was going to say, because we ran – I ran Loyola for – 20 plus years as well so i know exactly the system that you're talking about um another thing with that numbered system and i and i think this is probably part of what your 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 reasoning is too as well the kids don't have to think it's just here it happens and it's just muscle memory if i'm the two i'm out wide to the right and 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 that it may not think like you may not think well that one or one and a half second that they have to think or adjust a little bit isn't that big a deal, but in actuality, it can be a really big deal if you get that ball out quick. And if you can get it out one second quicker, that could be the difference between being five on five and you getting a nice three on two or a, an easy shot. Don't you think? Um, it means you know, it means everything. And yeah. again, I'm not saying there's not a different way to do it and not other ways to do it because uh, there certainly are. Um, uh, but. Just for me personally, um, the looking at all the different systems, I think it it uh, imposes the greatest sense of accountability while giving the kids a tremendous amount of freedom within that system. Wow. Um, uh, and we do. I think, guys, if, if you'll run, run hard, we're going to give you a tremendous amount of freedom. But you have you've got to be disciplined to earn that freedom and there's a trade-off there and i think kids understand that and i i got kids from more than 20 years ago coming back you know talking about how they you know they ran the two or they ran the three and um and and they recognize you know we call it the 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 one four pass we just think that's a backbreaker Mm -hmm. um uh the middle rudder uh, the middle post run the middle of the floor uh, getting that long pass from the point guard that just breaks people's backs, uh-huh. um, and and uh, it's it, it's a it's a point of discipline for the two and threes to be wide, um, and so that they attract defensive attention there by opening up the floor for the four man who runs middle. Um, and it, it, I think it, it it just makes it gives everybody a sense that they have a job to do. There's no discussion about it. There's no quarrel about it. Everybody knows. And uh, somebody's not doing their job. It's really easy to tell who it is. Yep. Do you uh, do you have any uh, secondary actions? If, if, if the opponent gets back there and, um, you know, they slow it down, do you have some actions that you jump right into then? We do. And, and sometimes, you know, those vary from year to year. Um, you know, We'll uh, we'll do some uh, some quick actions where um, maybe the the point guard will dribble handoff with one of the wings and the um, 
the follow post or the five, we'll uh, we'll we'll follow that with a chip ball screen right away. Um, or uh, um, we've got one there. We you know we we call it through. The point guard basically passes to either the two or three Bengals through to that corner. The ball ends up getting reversed to the other wing, and there's a uh, um, basically a flex screen and a stagger screen action. Um, you know, coming coming after that, um, we have an X action right up top with our point guard five man, and there's some ball screen action after that. And that some of the stuff, um, some of that was we got it a little bit from Creighton. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the stuff they do, and so I, I think you have to just to flow quickly into something if you don't have something. Um, so they're not having to just hold the ball and wonder what next. You just just get going really quick. Yep. Yep. Um, so, so to implement all of this, you know, and, and it seems like it's really simple because you should be working in on your defense and you should be working on your transition offense, but you know, what does your, what does your practice on a typical day look like? What's, what's your typical practice setup? Uh, let's say it's, I don't know, early January. Um, it's, it's, you're you're deep into the season, but you're not in February, and you're really concerned about uh, saving legs. Uh, let's say it's a Tuesday, and you got a Friday. You don't play till Friday, Saturday. What's what's a Tuesday practice in early January look like at Bellevue West with the with the boys program? Well, and, and part of it, in terms of length, might again it might vary uh, a little bit from year to year, or where we think the team is just right then but generally it's probably going to be anywhere from an hour 45 to uh 215 mm-hmm. um you know and and uh um it's going to be it's going to be segmented uh where you know we'll, we'll uh, like everybody i mean we'll start with some type of uh um combination uh warm-up skill development stuff um and then we're, we're immediately we get into transition stuff right away. Some type of transition, um, transition defense drill, uh, five on a baseline, or, or you know, there's, there's different transition drills we have um, that, that we'll work on, and it, it's competition um, between the, the two the two teams, and uh, um, and, and then you know it, it'll be kind of you know. What are we, and it might matter as to, again, how much are we working on um, pressing at that point? How much is that a focal point of what we're doing? Because then if it is, we'll go into some what we call quick recognition drills, right? Maybe we'll, we'll be working on whatever we think the opponent we have coming up, what kind of front they use to break a press, um, and then recognizing it and how we would match up and, and that sort of thing. If, if we feel like that we're not doing the job we need to do on sideline traps, work on that, you know, more or, or, or whether it's uh, we're, we're not doing the job we need to do in running jumping, we'll work on that. Um, and then we usually go to a, a, our emphasis of half-court defense, whatever that may be. And most all of these things are competitive. So we might do um, a competitive, uh, what we call it, um, uh, a perfect 45, where five guys, say it's the first five, are out there. And there's two groups of offense. 
um, that they're going against. They have to play what we call perfect defense for 45 seconds. So one of the five gets the ball. Um, they go against the, the, the five starters or whatever and until and, uh, a shot goes up. If they get a stop, how long that take? Okay, 14 seconds. Okay, you got 31 seconds left, so the second team comes on. And they and they keep doing that. And, of course, if they get the perfect 45, the two offensive teams have a consequence. If they don't, the five defenders have a consequence. So, yeah. um, so what we will go through, it, we always will have, at some point in practice, we will always have skill development slash and or shooting uh, segments of fairly significant length. I just think it's so important to continue developing skills during the year. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, another big thing that and it's been kind of a key to a success to your program uh, is is your summer camps and your, your camp philosophy and bringing kids in there. Uh, you know, what are some things that you're doing with your camps that might be a little bit different than, you know, everybody else's and, and just kind of what are you looking for? What's a good camp uh, for, for Coach Woodard and, and you're looking, you know, back at it when it's all said and done? Well, I think probably as important as anything is, is what we've done the past five, six, seven years or really some skill development sessions. Um, clinics slash camps that we've had for kids that play in our uh, feeder programs, uh, third through eighth grade, um, that we're able to implement in the spring and then again in the fall. Um, They get to spend um, probably a total, I think it's six and four, maybe 10, 10 sessions with our high school coaches where we're going over skills that we're that we think are important in terms of ball handling skills, passing skills, shooting skills, footwork skills, uh, and to try to get them um, uh, to to a higher level when they're you know when they're coming into the program. Um, so I think the, the, those have been critical. And then our summer camp, we actually format much like those skill clinics, um, and uh, so some of the kids are getting those extra four days added in with the 10 sessions we do in the, the spring and in, in the fall, uh, that's a lot of time that they get to spend around our high school coaches and our high school players who help us with those, um, learning uh, the things that we think are important from a skills standpoint. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, how long do you run those sessions for? Like in the, uh, how long is your fall and spring sessions and then, you know, how long do you run your, your, your summer, your, your four day summer camp? How many hours a day do you run those? The, the summer camps, uh, two and a half hours. The, the clinic sessions are an hour and a half to an hour 45. Mm-hmm. Um, and we do them, you know, at a time of night, I think they usually, we usually start them about six unless we're doing it on a Sunday and then it's maybe a Sunday afternoon, um, but uh, which allows, in, in a lot of cases at least, it allows kids that might be doing, whether it's baseball or soccer, you know, in the spring or football in the fall, they could maybe do those things and still be able to get to the clinic. Um, so we try to make it as 
is is accessible and possible for those kids to get to as they can. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, last thing I want to ask you: give us, uh, if you could, if you'd be willing to, give us one or two really good set plays. If you could talk talk it through here, uh, you know. Maybe one, what, what, I guess whatever you want to throw out there, one or two really good set plays for us. Well, um, I think every, or a lot of people run, um, it's kind of hard to do, I guess, when you're on a... Yeah, I know. That's, uh, that's the thing I hate about this. That's the one thing I don't like about these is I wish we could video it and 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 uh you know put it up on youtube or something like that i'm still still working on that on my catholic school history teacher salary here coach so (laughs) no i understand it or i think well i think if i say horns most people know what that is um at least so when i'm saying horns look um what i'm envisioning is you have a point guard in your two posts or at the elbows basically and you're um, your wings are in the corners. Um, so that's kind of um, a, a horn's look. So uh, I think there, there's a myriad of things you can run, you know, uh, out of that horn's, uh, horn's action. Um, uh, we've got one, we just call it horns, um, and, and I like it a lot. So let's say you enter it to the post that's on the offensive right elbow. Okay. Okay. Um, immediately what happens in, in this action is that the opposite elbow post sets kind of a lateral screen. Um, uh, so it, it's, it's the post on the left is centering a, a lateral screen for what we call our three man. Okay. So that three man is, is, is brushing off that screen, then coming for dribble handoff action with the post who receives the ball. So, uh, if you can imagine the, mm-hmm. the post on the offensive right elbow with his back to the basket is dribbling towards that corner where the three man is, who's getting a screen from the four. And they're coming to that dribble handoff. The three gets it. He's trying to turn the corner. If he can turn the corner, obviously he goes. If he draws help, it's help coming from the two man's man the two men who's sitting in that opposite corner, um, who should be a good shooter. If he's, if he's a two, he better be a good shooter. Yeah. Um, and while that has happened, when the one man passed that post the ball, he cut right down the middle of the lane, and then he's going to end up setting um, kind of a flex screen there for that four man after he set the brush screen. And then, and then he ends up getting a down screen from the five man. Um, and then you can have a little two, two game, two man game action on that, on that backside. Um, so I, that's very convoluted. And if I had a board, it'd be much, um, I, I got it down. I, and if I can get it down, anybody can get it down. I, I, I walked right through it with you the whole time and I got it. So you did well. Well, and, and, and then just off of that, so we'll have what we call then horn strong. So again, you know, pass it to the uh, uh, pass it to the same. The the one man passes the ball to the same uh, elbow. Okay, but this time the one man instead of uh, instead of going down the middle, he follows uh, follows his pass to that that that, that corner 
So he passes it to the right elbow. He's going to the right corner and basically setting a screen for that for that two man. Mm-hmm. The two man's going to back cut. Okay. Yep. Um, as he back cuts, excuse me. The uh, um, uh, the uh, uh, the post is going to take the ball and dribble it towards the opposite corner. Okay. Okay. Um, This is where it gets really convoluted now. Uh, The the opposite wing initially has shifted high. He's going to back cut. Okay. The opposite post is kind of setting a down screen for that two-man who's over in the three-corner now. Okay. And now that that two's coming for the girl handoff. Oh, okay. So that post is coming from from all from completely the other side. Okay. Okay. Yep. So that's horn strong. Um, and and there's about I mean there's a we have about seven or eight kind of out of that look. Uh, but I just like that. I like that set. It, it usually takes any kind of crap in a way. Um, and you can do, you can do so many different things that look alike, uh, out of it that, uh, um, that's one reason I like it so much. So, yep. Very good. No, I got both of those down. Those are going in the permanent playbook. I could tell you that. So we awesome. ran a little horns in in the past as well. So know exactly what you're saying, uh, Coach. Any any social media that you want to cue people in on, either for yourself or for the for the T Bird program. Um, you can let Coach Klein know he does all. I don't. <laughs> that's past my. He does WS basketball. Uh, social media so he could uh he would know how to get that out so if you can get a a message to good old coach klein at ws basketball he can take care of that very good very good well uh coach thank you so much for your time here this evening i I hope you uh i hope you enjoyed your time on a pen and a napkin here uh because i certainly enjoyed talking hoops with you for an hour and 15 minutes or so here so a lot of fun, Marty. Appreciate it, and uh, appreciate you taking the time to do this for everybody. No problem. If you could just hold the line for just a quick second here, i got to wrap a couple things up, and then we'll call it an evening here. Um, of course, we want to thank COSAC Chiropractic for sponsoring the pod. If you, need a, if you are in need of any chiropractic services, don't hesitate to call Dr. Kevin or Dr. Heidi at 402-964-0300. Follow us on Twitter, a pen and a napkin. Download, rate, and review the pod. You're on SoundCloud. You're on iTunes. Uh, forward this uh, podcast is so many good things. I got two and a half pages of notes here myself listening to Coach Woodard and, and, and conversing with him. And then, of course, uh, if you have any questions, comments, ideas, suggestions, email us, a pen and a napkin at Gmail. Com. This has been uh, a, a great podcast uh, with a Nebraska legend, uh, six-time state champion, uh, Doug Woodard of Bellevue West. Uh, coaches, stay safe, and as always, be sure to hone your craft one day at a time. Hey.